Welcome to the We Rush In podcast, dedicated to exploring the physical and mental demands of being a first responder. I'm your host, Dan Gignard, and I'm a Canadian police officer with many years of experience as a use of force instructor and police supervisor and everyday patrol officer. I understand firsthand the importance of maintaining both physical and mental fitness while on the job. In this podcast, we will be talking to Canadian first responders from a variety of fields, police, fire, paramedics, and even military, as well as service providers who assist in the training and health of first responders. We'll hear about the challenges and triumphs of maintaining fitness, training, and overall health and wellness while on the job. We'll also learn valuable tips and inspiration on how to stay fit and healthy, both physically and mentally, while serving our communities as first responders. Whether you're a first responder yourself or just someone who wants to understand the unique challenges of this profession, this podcast is for you. So let's dive in and explore the world of first responders' health and wellness. Thank you for joining us and stay tuned. I'd like to welcome everyone back to the We Rush In podcast. I was super excited and honored to have the opportunity to speak to Jeff Johnsgard on today's episode. He is a Canadian police officer with 19 years of experience. He's currently the firearms and tactics instructor within his agency. He's also a certified advanced specialist by the Forest Institute and the Canadian director of the Reality-Based Training Association. He also offers training in decision-making and use of force internationally through his company, Natural Tactical. Good afternoon, everyone. We have with us here today, Jeff Onsgaard, Natural Tactical Systems, Canadian police officer and founder of that company. Good day, Jeff. Hey, brother. How are you? I'm not doing too bad. Happy to have you on here today. And uh, let's just get right into it. Just give us a quick background of yourself. Sure. Yeah, no, uh, and uh, I apologize, of course, because uh, little does the audience know that this is the second time now because technology is a wonderful thing that we're doing this. So, uh, uh, you know, just let me know if I uh, say in my mind like I went into something already, which I didn't because it's uh, it's deja vu. So <laughs> here we go. But yeah, so Jeff Jonesgard, Canadian police officer in my 19th year. Uh, I'm currently a detective sergeant and uh, our agency is fairly large. It's a municipal agency. Uh, um, you know, we've got about 450 or maybe a little more than that now sworn cops. And, um, you know, I, I do training for the agency and I do training for our police college and things like that. Uh, and I suppose that's kind of the main reason why I'm here. All right. Uh, I guess just let's go a little bit into the history of natural tactical. Sure. Well, uh, yeah, as we were talking about before and offline, you know, natural tactical uh, got formed from years and years worth of just training and mentorship under some, uh, uh, you know, very, uh, very quality people uh, that uh, I was fortunate enough to come across in my life. And so Natural Tactical, the company itself, uh, you know, the product that I usually uh, get hired to, to uh, you know, talk about and sell and, and uh, that type of idea would be would be kind of people look at it for tactics, I guess, or people look at it for techniques. But uh, to the audience listening, you know, um, uh, I guess I would really like to help them delineate or understand that there's really two things that I offer. So one is the techniques. So there are certain things such as the compressed shooting position that was kind of popularized in John, it's an actual thing uh, to gunfight like that. Um, it was invented by this Englishman who died in 2011 of cancer, and he, you know, passed the system on to me and things like that. It's pretty. It, it's an interesting story. If, of course, if you want to dive down that rabbit hole, um, you know, there's a technique. Then there's some other techniques. Uh, uh, 
you know, to with the use of the tools uh, for law enforcement, military, which of course is my background, you know, the use of firearms, things like that. But the other thing, remember there's two, so there's the techniques, but there's also the process. And that's really something that is, in my mind, actually kind of the more important and uh, uh, really leads into several other areas. And so when I say process, I mean, I guess the instructional process, the actual how we go about learning, uh, but I mean so much in such detail to the exact words used, uh, language, uh, very specific language, uh, be happy to go into that. Um, and that in turn leads to people being able to do uh, physical skills, motor learning, uh, learning faster, and as is evidenced by their ability and their abilities after a time period, um, uh, both for decision-making as well. And of course that decision-making piece, uh, dealing with stress, uh, you know, a lot about uh, what first responders, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, uh, a paramedic EMT, uh, you know, obviously my background law enforcement military um but, uh, you know, I would ha have to say that, uh, especially when there's some uh, high stakes and pressure, uh, whether that's whitewater rafting, rock climbing, dealing with a car accident, you know, something like that, uh, high stakes and pressure, uh, thinking clearly, uh, and then especially when you have to execute on demand to a high degree physical skills uh, while your body's going through all these, uh, uh, you know, changes, and, and by that I don't mean puberty, as funny as that sounds, but, uh, you know, you know the, the stress response and whatever words we're kind of putting to that and so that process-based stuff uh, something that was first introduced to me from Ken Murray, uh, who uh, wrote a book called Training at the Speed of Life, Volume 1. Uh, I didn't know how much I didn't know of proper training until I met him, uh, and uh, that, that was a real turning point in my life. Uh, and, and so in turn, uh, the way that we convey these messages, meaning actual, you know, uh, teach people to, to both learn, right, because we go through our entire lives and we learn things all the time, some of them not so positive, some of them, right? Uh, uh, and the and the rest, but we never really formally learned how to learn better or learned how to learn best. And so there's that an entire piece about what I do for that. So although a police agency might have me come in because they're worried about getting ambushed inside a vehicle, they know this compressed shooting position works, uh, you know, for 360 degrees of aim fire from a vehicle. So that's a, a good uh, uh, thing that uh, I call it like a Lego block. I can teach very quickly in a day or two instructor class just with a few days on top of that. Uh, but the process-based stuff is is um, definitely, in my mind, actually more important uh, and is the pivotal linchpin kind of uh, key to uh, what it is that we do because there are these uh, concepts for recovery involved in them as well. So um, uh, now I, I realize I've been gabbing on for a few minutes already, but <laughs> I don't know which way you want to go with it. Well, I mean, no, it's all very interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I'm interested in for sure. All right. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Um, I mean, I'm certainly not someone that people need to listen to, but I, I certainly do have uh, a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, information uh, as you know. I've, I've gained from experts in the field uh, uh, that has been working quite well. Uh, you know, 
we, we were talking about it before, but, you know, I've been to uh, uh, training with uh, very high-end tier one people in, you know, Australia, and then I've been to Brazil, uh, I've been to South America, and, and some federal police, and all sorts of places like that, of course, all over the United States as well, and, uh, and you know, these skills certainly do work, but even more so, this process stuff is even more interesting and gleaning because it doesn't matter what technique, it doesn't matter what pistol, it doesn't matter what glove, it doesn't matter what, uh, you know, whatever. It's a matter of you being able to learn best. And so I kind of try to pique people's interest uh, by saying, you know, I now work out a third as much as I used to. Well, you know, I'm in my 40s mm. now, um, and I get just as far, if not further, with my physical fitness, etc., by doing a third as much, but I have tripled down on the recovery piece. Uh, so that would be the same thing as what we were talking about with uh, learning to learn better, right? Uh, you know, you don't you go to the gym and you do some bicep curls, we'll say, or whatever it is that you're doing. Hopefully, some compound movements. Um, and uh, uh, you know, you're. Uh, we all know that we don't get stronger in the gym. We get stronger. We repair that muscle. We grow stronger, both neurologically and physically. Whether that's hypertrophy, right, muscle gain, or strength, neurological, or you know, whatever you know, shade of conversation you want to have about that uh, but that happens after outside of the gym and so the same thing happens with motor learning which is just fancy words for saying physical skill learning uh, you know there are set protocols if we were in the uh, you know NFL and someone was getting paid a lot of money uh, they would want to train you in the most efficient way the thing is, is that most, uh, you know, police, military, uh, first responders are not getting treated like professional athletes. And it's kind of up to them to learn these things on their own and more to the point to put them habitually rituals in place that help them. And so what I mean by that is, is to recover, right? Because I'm, I'm not concerned I'm not as concerned. I'm concerned with you surviving your incident. Absolutely. Whatever incident that mm -hmm. might be, car accident, uh, sh shooting, I don't know what. It depends on who we're talking to and what the, what's going on. But I'm more concerned with teaching you to thrive during the incident and recover so that you're not an alcoholic divorcee either, right? Because just because you physically made it through doesn't mean that, uh, you know, uh, it's not winning. Uh, Ken Murray has these, this concept called the seven survivals. And I ask anyone interested to just hit pause and Google. Uh, simply Google reality-based training association, reality-based training association seven, just the number seven survivals. And he's got a little article on it. But the point being is that you only survive an incident Incident if you survive it in all seven of these. And so that is physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, right? Legal, both civil and, uh, you know, policy at your station, et cetera, et cetera. Because, you know, you don't survive the incident if, of course, you get injured, right, and die. Well, that's not surviving. But then if you survive, but, uh, uh, you know, you lose your job or you survive, but you uh, emotionally can't deal with maybe what it is that you've done or did to recover to a point where you're able to do it again, well, then you didn't, you didn't survive that 
again either, right? So hence the alcoholic divorcee or whatever kind of metaphor or whichever one of those seven survivals you're, you're quote unquote failing in or, or didn't, uh, didn't achieve, right? Yeah. And so I yeah. think that's a very, very good conversation to have because the seven survivals are literally the center cog in everything that I do. So whatever I'm deciding to do, uh, you know, hold a course, uh, teach my daughter to drive, uh, whatever it might be. I'm trying to think about this seven survivals aspect. So everything must be seven, you know, six o'clock news ready. Right. Is that is that pun that you'd see it on the yeah. uh, whatever the uh, front page of the paper, uh, uh, you know, uh, that kind of idea, because, you know, if if uh, we we act and it was uh, uh, morally, we're fine with it. Physically, we survived it. Maybe even legally we got uh, we're OK, but the city burns. Well, you know, and the resources of our agency are destroyed and our our relationship with the community is destroyed. Well, then we didn't survive it in that way either. And then what can we do ahead of time to set those things up? up well the individual officer maybe not as much but certainly still things to do uh, and then you know the then we start talking about culture uh, and uh, all those other great things so I'll, I'll, I'll take it back over to you because I'd love for this to be a conversation for sure I mean that's that's a ton of stuff to think about for sure um, I guess how have you found incorporating all that just into your own day-to-day life as a law enforcement officer? Well, I mean, that's taken really a lot of different shades over the years, right? As I said, I'm uh, I'm not long in the tooth yet, but, you know, 19 years, all of a sudden, that's a long period of time, right? <laughs> you know, so, um, uh, you know, I would say that some of the winning conversations to have with first responders would all, are, are the ones that, like, when I get in front of recruits or, or some new people or something, the thing that I would love to go back in time and learn or be introduced to that what I think has helped me the most, um, or, and certainly I would hope would help them as well, uh, would be that uh, mindset, mindfulness, resiliency piece. And of course, it, it, there's as many definitions to those three words as is people on the planet, right? And so um, uh, what I'm saying uh, when I say that is, uh, for instance, uh, Michael Phelps, right? So I'm, I'm sure the, the audience has heard of this guy named Michael Phelps. A swimmer for the United States who uh, was very, very good to say the least. I think it was like 16 gold yeah. medals or something like that, right? And so, short version of the story is is that I had uh, occasion to uh, physically meet him, and so I took that time to uh, interview him. And uh, um, and so what what uh, Mr. Phelps said to me uh, was that um, training his mind was what he considered to be his ace in the hole. Uh, uh, now mm-hmm. to hear someone who has achieved that level not not just gold medal but several uh, you know uh, consistently over a period of time that's I mean it was interesting so I but once again words have meaning and just because he used phrases and, and things that I understood or at least thought I understood I have no idea what mental training means to Michael Phelps so uh, 
of course, I asked questions. I dug, I dug much further uh, down in on that. And we can certainly go into it more. But the point being is that he learned how to set himself up for visualizing, uh, visualizing, sorry, as I slur my speech, uh, visualize um, himself in the pool, for example. Uh, uh, now, his event, his, uh, his incident uh, was, you know, the uh, whatever. To, uh, X breaststroke or, or front crawl, whatever, whatever it was. But point being, so he could visualize exactly how many strokes it was, how the how the uh, the the turn at the end would be ex- executed, and on and on. So he learned as a young uh, as a young man as well, uh, and so this uh, just got better throughout his age, uh, throughout as he aged and practiced it, how to visualize to an amazingly high degree. So much so that what he claimed to me was is that he was merely physically executing what had already taken place. His body, his mind, you know, his spirit uh, had already won, had already gone through the race in the time he wanted to, performing the way he wanted to several times prior to actually doing it. Um, so that was interesting. Now we could all, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, like, I don't know how to fly a plane, but I could visualize that I'm doing it and think I'm doing a great job. Then I could get in a plane and crash it immediately. Right. So that's just, that's that, that idea, uh, you know, uh, Carol Dweck, Stanford University professor, uh, who uh, kind of coined that term growth mindset as well. Right. So it's, it's one thing to say, just because you believe you can do it, that's not, that doesn't mean you can, right. <laughs> right. I mean, it has to be grounded in reality as well. Well, right, and so there's a little bit more to that growth mindset as a tangential talk or a, or a parallel talk. But the point being is that back to that mental training. So first of all, he learned how to do it. Uh, he practiced it a lot, and further, he said that he would then practice from uh, recovering in ways from things uh, so that he got good repetitions of doing that. I found that very interesting. So I asked him to give me an example. I'll share with you. So he said, so he remembers one uh, uh, many times uh, visualizing diving into the pool out of the starter's blocks and uh, and the, uh, his goggle becoming loose and filling with water so he couldn't see. And so he said this actually happened to him, uh, but he just executed in his mind, the visualization he had already uh, he had already put himself in that situation mentally ahead of time. He knew exactly what he needed to do: keep control of his breathing, how many strokes to take, when to hit the wall and turn around, you know that kind of idea. And he had already got a gold medal, or he'd already practiced recovering as optimally as possible, ment- possible mentally ahead of time, and then ended up he accredits his his win in that. Race to that, uh, so you know you can see here that uh, to to teach a recruit anyone uh, how to take failure. What is failure? Uh, is it you know because we could have that talk. In fact, then you know what is what does failure mean to you? If I were to ask you that, I guess it depends on a lot of the situation. But I mean, it could be degrees of failure, right? Like in this scenario, I get these things right but I could have done it better. And with the wrong mindset, you could maybe only see the negative side of that. 
Well, now, isn't that an interesting, uh, yeah, an interesting thing to say. So I always say, imagine if we were on video and I put a, a fist in my face and my upper chest here and I go, if you shoot a group, you know, soldier, police officer here and here, which is a good thing uh, on a target that you're supposed to shoot at. Uh, but then you shoot one, boo, way over the shoulder like that or something, mm -hmm. you know, often, no, often mm -hmm. never, never land. What are you going to go home thinking about? The 300 uh, site alignment, site uh, press, you know, shots that went well or the one over there and most of the time we kind of go yeah i'm gonna think about that one right gonna lament on yeah. that one so if we could learn to take failure and maybe just call it what it is failure is feedback what are you gonna do with that feedback that matters how are you going to unpack think about you know what you know, what was the reason that this happened that was not optimal and then we start talking about those words right or wrong is is anything really right or wrong well i mean yeah i guess if we were to open the criminal code or something and and try and define it's right to do this it's wrong to do that perhaps but uh you know i'm sure that all of us can go back in our minds to almost any incident and think could have done that a little better could have done that a little better whether or not we got through it and got the gold medal or not right and so so, 100%. Yeah. So the on the understanding as to how to take feedback, if failure equals feedback, I just offer that as a mental model, then success actually equals feedback as well. And so then we can have a cool conversation about are you training for your next fight or your next whatever, or are you training for your last one? I think it was Tony Blauer that I first heard say that. I'm not sure. I'd, I want to give credit where credit's due always. But, uh, you know, what does that mean? Well, are you training for what you think you're going to need to do in order to get through your next incident? Or are you training for your last one, meaning it worked in the last one or didn't work in the last one? So now I need to do these things. Well, you can see how we bias that very easily, don't we? You know, a boxer thinks they need jab cross hook uppercut a grappler thinks they need grappling a, a whatever thinks they need a whatever right uh, um, what is your framework your process for taking in information for thinking about your desired end state and then for unpacking that properly efficiently so not we're not just talking about movements are efficient which of course I want them to be uh, but uh, you know how to go about doing that training your brain training your nervous system and so where where I've ended up now when I talk to you know recruits because this is still that on that on that uh, question of yours is that I, I want them to know I want everyone to know mm -hmm. that really we're talking about your nervous system there was a time when you got in a vehicle and were completely overwhelmed by everything it took to start it put it in drive back out of the driveway safely right right and there was you there was no you know I bet you had no more attention for anything else and if I was telling you about that car up ahead you're at best your your eyes are two inches in front of the hood you know kind of idea and uh, and then as you became more comfortable with it, with operating the tool, the car in this case, or could be, uh, you know, uh, whatever, put an IV in, or could be, uh, uh, you know, shooting a gun. Uh, as you became more confident with those tools, then you're uh, you freed up more attention, and attention is a limited resource. So there's only you only have so much, and if, if you have to use all your attention to figure out your car, well, you're certainly not going to perceive the little girl on the bike 
like or something like that um and so yeah so now we're starting to kind of unpack some terms brings shed a little bit more light onto um uh, how we're thinking about things and that is what i found with uh, ken murray for example that was kind of the biggest lacking in our communities uh it just it just wasn't done not because they didn't want to do it but because we didn't know what we didn't know and uh yeah and so that's been now uh you know years and years of research and of uh application i've been blessed to be able as i said to go and and teach with uh you know learn from and teach alongside these these high-end units and then they apply this uh, in the crucible and come back and tell me this is working really well you know our our young SWAT guys are learning these things so much faster you know like um and we're cutting weeks off uh, introductory you know uh, learning packages by the way we go about process teaching uh and and facilitating the learning so you know that's a whole bunch of stuff but uh yeah yeah that's it's some very very uh, uh very very interesting really efficient ways i wish i would have known you know 20 years ago sure i'm just curious um being that we're not fire or ems or anything i think do you think the process the processes that allow us to cut time on the learning for these things would apply to any skill yeah, so that's a great question. So uh, if your if your audience is into it, uh, uh, Google Dr. Gary Klein, K L E I N, and he's got something called recognition prime decision making. And the short version of that is is he has studied fire, he, uh, firefighters, uh, not just fire, but firefighters, uh, uh, and law enforcement, and the military. And he found that expert performers had these certain traits and characteristics and things. And he then developed a way of helping to pass the eyes of an expert performer on. I think he calls it shadow box, something like that. It's quite interesting. Uh, we certainly have our own flavor of it that we just find works kind of even a little faster but um, um, uh, point being is that uh, he found that it was yeah driving you know uh, uh, race drivers for example decision making what they're perceiving and how that leads them to the next decision uh, fire fighters uh, forest firefighters especially um, a little more chaotic is what I'm told that can be or, or inside of a structure kind of idea uh, and then and then military and police yeah so it does legitimate have uh, a carryover in fact I mean there's two types of long-term memory right there's a type of long-term memory I'm reciting from right now that's kind of more conscious and then there's this unconscious one just all of a sudden I just started doing things I reacted I, I hit the brake and swerved I, I got my gun out all of a sudden I didn't really think about it you know there's that as well and so there are more beneficial ways to get things into that type of long-term memory and then that ties in of course with the recovery pieces because uh, you know you want to control your physiology and your psychology under stress uh, and then stress means two different things both heart rate increase and hormonal like stress and pressure holy crap something's uh, really urgent and to happen if my kid uh, you know just got hit by a car or something like that right and that's a that's a different heart rate increase um, there's a lot of other things uh, that coincide with that that are not optimal for decision making right and uh, and then breath ties in with that because breath is the one thing that uh, comes into play hugely uh, then therefore training the mind you know there's a, a cool study um, I can't remember where I saw it now 
where they took basketball three-point shooters, uh, divided them in, into uh, two groups. They then had one group physically practice and the other group mentally only practice. Then at the end of it, they tested them all again and they found that the ones who were practicing through visualization mentally only improved at almost the same rate as the ones physically, but it was only those who were in the group who already knew the skill fairly well. It wasn't just brand new. Um, very interesting, right? So that goes towards that mental training that we talked about with Michael Phelps. And then can we use the tool of mental training to even think about things that are, uh, you know, uh, the goggle coming off for him or, uh, you know, maybe being shot or injured or having some massive amount of trauma happen uh, where we are outside of our comfort zone then calming ourselves down during the visualization using breath the physiology to change our psychology and vice versa uh, and then to practice recovering in an optimal manner giving ourselves a repetition of doing that when really we can't otherwise do that even with high fidelity scenario training you know kind of idea mm -hmm. yeah so that's a super and that's what I do right so that's where agencies uh, realistically as I as we talked about before, um, you know, uh, I've been brought in by schools and brought in by uh, uh, civilian companies to talk about these things as well and to, and to formulate processes for them, both for risk mitigation and, and things like that, but also for uh, how they are going to deal with uh, these incidents uh, and then train for it. I mean, same thing happens for uh, a flight attendant, right? I mean, the same thing happens yeah. for, you know, in, in many professions. Yeah, it makes sense. Because any line of work, any line of work, there's that potential for a stressful situation. Right. So, how to take feedback, uh, evaluate? You know, if I were to, uh, Ken Murray says, you know, if I were to walk over to you and and take a bucket of crap and dump it on your head, uh, you probably wouldn't be too happy. <laughs> but but if there were a couple of twenty carat diamonds in there and you got to go have a shower uh, and then keep them, you know, maybe you wouldn't be so upset in the end of it. Well, a lot of instructors, uh, especially military, right, uh, give you that that debrief, that 50 caliber finger poking at you. You did this, 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 and this. And there's, are there some diamonds, are there some gold nuggets in there that actually are good things that you perhaps didn't do well on? Yeah, it's just that it's coated in a bucket of crap and we we have a hard time we just punish ourselves and tie ourselves in with I'm not good enough or I can't learn or something like that well you know I go all the way back to grade six uh, I don't want to say the the teacher's name back then but you know she's she told me that I had uh, poor attention luckily there was no diagnosis back then um, and uh, I wasn't good at math and now I still believe it to this day when really is that the case and then we can study from a, a dr. Andrew Huberman if your listeners aren't aren't on his podcast Podcast, please do uh, another Stanford professor um, and he talks all about uh, uh, some very cool things as well including dopamine uh, reward circuitry and and how when we first start to, to get into a learning bout there's this edgy scratchiness to it where it's not easy and that's the whole point is that learning must be effortful learning is not if you if it's easy and it makes sense then you know it already 
But yet when we get to that point where it is kind of, uh, like I said, that edgy, scratchy, ah, I'm not quite getting it. Those synapses, you know, those those uh, uh, in our brain are just not quite linked up yet. And they're almost, they're wanting to. And uh, that's what we talk about. Or that's, uh, you know, when, when I'm doing training for um, uh, that agitation, stress and confusion, we got to tuck into that. And uh, I'll show you how. And in turn, that's where we learn to get to these states of focus. Uh, and then we can have a conversation perhaps about flow state or not, and that Mihailo Chetsmahaya, uh, uh, you know, and what that might mean or not. Um, but uh, just kind of diving down that path a little further as well. Uh, so very, very cool stuff, all on the precipice of it. Um, um, you know, but once again, it's how you, it's more important to see how you think than it is about um, maybe necessarily the, the technique or the bell or the whistle, you know, that you've got as your as your thing. Yeah, and I just wondered, the training, at least in the past, always seemed to focus on the latter of that. And I think they're getting better, and they do talk about you know, mindset and focus. And visualization, I've heard a lot about more and more lately. But even back in 2009, when I went through Lease College, they were even talking about it then during fire, just picturing yourself on the range, visualizing your qual. Well, that's excellent. I mean, and, and furthermore, uh, now visualizing yourself being calm, breathing in that time as you're visualizing it to link that to it as well, you know, because breath mm -hmm. is the thing that we don't think about doing and can do. And breath is a thing we can think about doing and change. And so there's a lot of uh, uh, breath work is extremely important uh, to understand and use as a tool. So breath is one of the tools I use. Uh, visualization is one of the tools I use. Um, you know, as a, uh, I started fairly early in my career, I would uh, visualize myself as I took my wristwatch off, I would make it a ritual. As I took my wristwatch off, I'd pause, I'd look at it, I'd think about my day, and I would take off my watch. And as I was taking off my watch, I was trying to take off the stress and pressure of that day so I didn't come home and snap at my kids or my wife or something like that. Um, uh, you know, and it became a ritual for me. I know another friend of mine, he uh, takes his uniform off that way and he takes off the stress and pressure of the day. Uh, he tries to get in a different frame of mind, whether that's a shower or not or whatever. And sometimes we certainly need, all need that. Um, you know, and then uh, uh, and then tried to make the transition to home life because at the end of the day, I I feel so bad all the time that you know the the best part of me is 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 spent uh, at work and then I come home tired again, right? <laughs> but um, you know, uh, anyway. So yeah, so there's there are certainly these these pieces that we can start to put into play. How are you thinking about what it is that you're doing? Uh, did you even know what you were putting your attention on? And now I think that uh, Doc Bill Lewinsky, uh, uh, he's, uh, he has a company called Force Science. If, if anyone's interested, please Google Force Science in the USA there. Uh, they've got a free newsletter and they've done all sorts of interesting things 
such as reaction times, uh, such as uh, attentional studies, memory studies, uh, and it's all based, you know, kind of in and around for law enforcement and the military. Uh, it certainly applies to all first responders. Uh, great stuff on sleep and recovery as well. Um, anyway, point being is that Bill has said to me that he believes uh, attention is kind of the currency of the new age. It's the most important thing uh, that we're being bombarded for our attention all the time. And attention is necessary in order to, uh, you know, uh, be successful in an incident, especially a physical one that's that's grasping at our attention, um, uh, you know, directing our attention to where it's most beneficial. Uh, and then we could talk about maybe something called the quiet eye, uh, which is just an external narrow focus of attention. But when I'm training with people, I bring their uh, their thoughts to or their their attention to that there are four quadrants of attention, internal, external, and then narrow and broad in both of those. Uh, and then we build a, a mental model for driving the car, for working the tool, for thinking in our incident. We build this richer mental model of, of using those quadrants of attention on purpose and we build feedback. So I, I create through this thing called owning the trigger, uh, a feedback with your trigger, for example, that you just never knew was even possible. You thought you knew how to work a trigger and now all of a sudden I've made it rich, deep, alive and meaningful to the point where there's like three, four, five, eight, ten parts to it and now you're able to then practice to such a higher degree you can't help but focus more when doing so and that in turn creates better synaptic or uh, response pattern etc and uh, and that's all through the 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 uh, all, like I said the funny use of language right the what's called the meta model using language to clarify language uh, it's a term in uh, NLP neurolinguistic programming uh, whether you believe it or not doesn't matter because it works you know <laughs> yeah it has to if it's working how can you argue that it uh it doesn't work absolutely um yeah i guess we could touch into that called the, the, the quiet eye or the silent eye Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, I guess now would be, I would ask your viewers to simply uh, uh, hit pause, uh, go watch this five minute video. So it's uh, just simply Google, uh, you know, YouTube, Calgary Police, C-A-L-G-A-R-Y Police, and Quiet Eye, Q-U-I-E-T-I-E-Y-E. Uh, and there's this video, and it's from Force Science, the company I already mentioned before. And, uh, uh, you know, go watch that and come back. And then so we'll pretend like they just did. And so now... <laughs> And so now what they just saw was they just saw some uh, some expert performers and they were like uh, tactical response unit trained SWAT kind of people. And then there were some regular officers not as highly trained in the tact in SWAT. Uh, and they were all kind of basically put in a box uh, on the floor where they were to stand and they had this pistol that shot paint and uh, they had an, a scenario evolving to their front and they, uh, they put these glasses on them that showed exactly where where they were looking and that's super interesting so if everybody i realize this is audio only but it's super easy to do just extend your arm out put your thumb up and in i'm just sitting in my wife's office right now so as i turn i see there's the light switch on the wall i cover that light switch with my thumb 
and that's basically the width of my thumbnail. Uh, you got something there, Dan? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, so you're covering uh, yeah. whatever that is. At arm's length, you, the width of your thumbnail represents about three to five degrees of visual angle, so like degrees-wise, right? Of course, further away, it'll cover more. Closer up, it'll cover less, right? And so the interesting thing here is your central vision. It's called your fovea, F-O-V-E-A, foveal vision, which is your most highly accurate and acute vision. It's where we see fine detail and color uh, in the center of our eye. That is only that big as your thumbnail. So imagine okay. you, that is, here's the cool part, that's the only thing that you can see clearly is what's inside your thumbnail at any given distance. And I'll pause for effect, because the first time I heard that, I was like, what? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, so Dan, I mean, you can see things in your room, right? There's, there's stuff all over the place, whether or not you're, you know. But yeah. what I'm saying is, is because of how the eye work and those rods and cones, they're actually the cones in the center uh, that see detail and color, they're the ones that uh, are only that, they're, they're only that um, uh, much in, in that degree. And so you can catch things in your peripheral vision very quickly and easily, but then you orientate your eye head, etc., towards them in order to find out what the heck they actually were. So. So isn't it interesting to know we could see uh, Wayne Gretzky uh, on the ice or we could see Roger Federer on the tennis court or whatever your sport is and we can see where they're looking but we actually don't know what thumbnail they are looking at is he looking at the ball is he looking at the person is he looking at the looking at the that's the only thing that they can actually see properly, accurately, and every time you shift your eyes around, you're missing little fractions of a second uh, because you're not seeing anything, these little saccades, these little movements of the eye. And so uh, in the quiet eye video, we could see, and I think it was talked about by Dr. Joan Vickers, a uh, Calgary professor who kind of coined the term, kind of found it, that we could see the expert performers were setting themselves up for looking. They were more likely to understand how something was going to evolve and where to look next to get that information. So interesting in that study is that the expert performers were not shooting or sorry we're not moving we're not firing any faster than the other officers but they were shooting sooner and they were making overall far better shoot no shoot decisions and accuracy uh, sh uh, decisions uh, versus everyone else and until we dove into exactly where their eye was looking we had no idea and so that's what I'm talking about when we talk about attention as well, because attention is both your mentality, right, your mental focus and your eye on that part. I could kind of fake you out a little bit by looking over like to the side and pass the ball or something like that, right? Yeah. But, you know, so there's a split yeah. of attention there. But is now that is where a higher quality conversation comes from. So the quiet eye, and please feel free to go to my website, naturaltactical.com. I wrote two articles on the quiet eye on there for free, dealing with kind of a little bit to do with gun presentation and gunfighting uh, and that. So it'll tell you what it is and why and, and all that on there. Uh, and any questions, please just, as always, email me or I'll come back on and talk more about it. But point being is that mm -hmm. an external focus 
as well as narrow, right? Uh, so that's what we're talking about. During um, during the execution of a, of a motor skill, uh, is this is a critical thing. So the quiet eye is, I put my eyes at a specific place and leave them there within three degrees of visual angle for 100 milliseconds or longer prior to the a critical movement in the task, prior to taking that three-point shot in basketball, prior to releasing the shot in biathlon, uh, you know, things like that. And this has been greatly studied with Olympic athletes, NBA, NFL, PGA, uh, you know, on and on and on. So very, very cool stuff. They also found that it was a way of handling arousal, handling stress. So imagine now I'm visualizing something happening horrible. My partner shot. I've got a broken arm. I got to get my gun out with a different hand. It's all sorts of uh, uh, shit sandwich. Pardon my French there, but um, uh, you know that. Uh, but I can calmly think about how it's best to go about doing these skills, getting my gun staying calm, and what is the next thing I need. To to focus on external in order to solve the problem, right? Ah, and so that's where we have to, what we're missing the boat because we're at the wrong dock when we instruct is we are not defining these terms. We're, people don't even know about the rods and cones in their eyes. They don't like it just, all that stuff is just like, I didn't know what I didn't know rather than talking about it, rather than my going, hey, what did you even see your front side during that shot? Uh, right, or something like that. So when you're saying we're doing a better job of educating, that's excellent. And the why rides underneath it. I don't want you to do it because I do it because I have instructor on my shirt. Uh, whether I perform it well or not, hopefully I do, but I want you to do it because you believe that every cell, including that one in your tailbone somewhere, that it works for you. And now we're having a very good conversation about the confidence competence loop. Just imagine a circle. Confidence promotes competence, a little arrow, right? And confidence mm -hmm. promotes confidence. It's a vicious circle we're trying to perpetuate. And that now is leading us to taking ownership, having agency in our lives. Oh, I can't I can't say what my boss is gonna be like tomorrow, but I do know how I'm gonna react to it. And I can set myself up ahead of time as I best can in order to uh, you know, uh, work under the stress pressure they may or may not be creating, da-da-da-da-da, right? Yeah. And now yeah. that I think that's the, the conversation that really needs to be dug in on. Sure, agencies are coming out with resiliency and, and mindfulness training, and I, that's wonderful and needs to happen. More to the point, it needs to be linked in a meaningful way to actionable habits and rituals uh, that set me up beforehand, right, with mental body armor. Mm -hmm as well right very interesting stuff um i'm hoping i'll definitely get some of the links on the show notes for this uh kind of going quick question kind of going back to cqd and i think we discussed this before but um do you think cqd and all of it and all of its components obviously after the conversation we've just had should be or should be or could be incorporated well into police training Especially, uh, especially keeping in mind that lowest common denominator, not everybody's going to be able to operate at the same level. But from what you've said, at least some of the basic techniques don't require that high level of skill to be useful. Wow, yeah, so that's, uh, that's where I'm 
different from others, right? So a lot of times you bring in uh, companies that come in with uh, very high performing instructors and, uh, you know, everybody tries to mimic them, right? Um, but what, what I do is, is I come in and I, I literally take an entire SWAT team and we go to like the two yard line and we hang out for hours and I guarantee that they will leave there knowing what they didn't know they didn't know or knowing what they thought they already knew to a level that is so much more rich, deep and meaningful. And that's my point. So yes, there are definitely the running and shooting and all the cool stuff and quick, you know, moving quick and, and uh, scenarios and high, you know, realism and blood spurting and yeah, and all that. Absolutely. But crawl, walk, run, uh, you know, what a level, how to understand how they are uh, using their tools, their mental model for the trigger, the grip, the draw stroke to a, to a, a way that was so much more in depth that they just simply didn't know they didn't know it. They didn't know they didn't know it to that level before. That's what I do. And then I would take that confidence, competence, reinvest it in that, you know, we talked about already. And uh, then we can start doing things that are even more, quote, mm -hmm. high end. So uh, it, uh, it is absolutely for everyone to the point where, um, you know, I just... I just, I just have to say, you know, put my money where my mouth is, right? Like, just let me show you, you know, like, uh, uh, because, you know, you, you all of a sudden, after a few hours, we're having conversations, uh, you know, we're in, you're, everyone's asking these such higher quality questions. They didn't even know before. You're, they're in a room that didn't exist. Uh, to them up until that point, even though they've been on a, a, a SWAT team for 10 years, you know, something like that. And so if that's valuable, which I've never had anyone say isn't, then uh, I show them how to uh, how to sharpen it. And then more importantly, I show them how to do that with everyone else, because there's only so many of me. And I would rather teach people how to, you know, go and uh, what is it? Uh, teach, teach people how to teach people to fish right <laughs> that kind of idea right <laughs> yeah for sure just um, so much it's, it's just so much we could talk about i mean this could go on for there's way more meat and potatoes here to get into i think we're just going to have to probably continue this questions another time uh come up with oh, absolutely. More questions well i realized this was kind of a, a real wide smattering of stuff so you know if there's any feedback from your audience uh you know i'll come uh, i would love to come back on sometime we can be a little more specific uh i mean whatever uh i'd be happy to uh, happy yeah, to do that sure. absolutely absolutely and i just i just want to say I, I know i said it on the other recording i don't think i said it on this one uh that you know I'm just, I'm just very honored to be in this space, you know, to, uh, to have these conversations, uh, uh you know, I'm, uh, uh, I'm by no means an expert in any of this. I, I, uh, not just, to, uh, just to, to be humble about it, but just to say that it, it is a very, very important space to offer our communities, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and that's up to the point of even protection minded civilians and and that the ability to uh, to come together and to grow, uh, you know, uh, more optimal. I'm really, really about that. And uh, I just thank you very much for this opportunity. I look forward to doing it again. Uh, I'm really happy to have you on. I'm really happy you joined me and greatly appreciate it. My pleasure, Dan. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Rush In podcast, where we explore the physical and mental demands of being a first responder. I hope that you found today's discussion and interview informative and inspiring. Remember, maintaining fitness, training, and overall health and wellness is essential for first responders to be able to serve their communities to the best of their ability. Stay tuned for another episode on the 1st and 15th of every month, featuring more interviews and insights from Canadian first responders and service providers. In the meantime, please visit our website for more information and resources on first responders, health and wellness, and don't forget to follow us on social media for updates and additional content. Thank you for listening. Stay safe out there.